My name is Claudia Pergola, a caregiver advocate and author of two books. I am confronted daily with families in need. They all seek the one thing that seniors can provide them. They're looking to maintain their legacy. I'm Debbie Walpoff, and as founder and CEO of Merck's Payments, I believe that success is not defined by wealth. Success is defined by the people that you're inspired by your actions. My name is Clelia Pergola, and I am here to focus on your legacy. Welcome. I am so excited to have Christine Handy on our podcast today with Debbie Walpov and I. She is an international print and runway model. Christine is also a national best-selling author of the book, Walk Beside Me, a fictional depiction of Christine's life. Christine became a keynote speaker after her book was published in 2016, and she serves on board of two nonprofit organizations, E-Beauty and People of Purpose. Christine is a mentor, a breast cancer advocate, a public figure, a social media influencer, a national, re nationally recognized humanitarian, and a mother. Christine just competed at a master's degree at Harvard University in literature and creating writing. You're really putting us all to shame. <laughs> Christine, Christine's novel is currently being adapted into a film called Willow, the feature film. Christine, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on. I, I just have to give a little backstory. So <laughs> I met Christine. It has to be 15 years ago at a spa. We are from two different worlds, two different sides of the country. But I knew she was my person. We were A-types in the front of that hike saying, can't you go any faster? And we bonded over our drive and our ability to really power through. Yes. Little did I know how she would have to power through. We will get to that in a minute. But when I saw her, I said, oh my God, I'm so envious. She's gorgeous. She showed me her beautiful family, her two gorgeous little boys at the time. She's skinny, vivacious and outgoing. I said, God, you know, you always don't know what's going on in someone's life, but I was, I'm not really ever green with envy, envy, but I was like a little green with envy. I said, <laughs> oh my God, she's perfect. <laughs> and little I mean, did we know what obstacles, medical obstacles, and she had to go through since I've met her. And all I can say is she's just powered through, like we powered through that hike, racing up the mountain. So Christine, thank you, thank you for being here today. Thank I you. you. I just love <laughs> you. Christine, you tell the viewers a little bit about your, your history before the medical stuff. Um, before the medical stuff is, is a, is a flattering story. <laughs> um, I started modeling when I was 11 years old, the tender age of 11. And I worked as a model for, well, until I was 35. When I was 35, I started to have my health issues. But I had, I got married, I had uh, a bachelor's degree from SMU, and I lived this very, uh, to the outside world, a very nice life. 
um, inside, I was struggling with self-esteem issues. I, you know, when you're in the modeling industry, it's not that that ultimately caused me to have an eating disorder or to have a low self-esteem. But when I look back, we go on these things called castings. And so you go, let's say about 10 a week. If you're, if you're really a working model, you go on probably 10 a week. And let's say you get eight or two out of 10. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of rejection and it's all based on what you look like, right? I mean, you're not going there with, to be, uh, looked at for your intellect, you're going there to be looked at for your beauty. And so by the time I started to have my health issues, I was so wrapped up into my worth is my external value, my worth is my external beauty, that was it. That's all I really cared about. And that's all I really saw in myself. That's why I thought people loved me. That's why I thought people cared about me. And when I started to have these health battles, I realized that my worth was was dissipating quickly, and I couldn't control it. I couldn't stop it. And ultimately, if you hear the my story, you realize that my self-esteem changed during the illnesses and the, and the despair and the disappointment because it wasn't my external value that was important. It was who I was inside, but I needed to grow through that process. So I recently just saw the special that you recorded with Victoria's Secrets. Okay. And I was in tears on the way to work. I, um, I would encourage the listeners YouTube that it's um, amazing how a conversation like that and hearing your perspective can impact somebody so quickly. Um, And, you know, you guys bonded over the spa, right? So like-minded individuals, I, um, I'm not struggling with you, what you struggle with, but you spoke to me so much Mm -hmm. um, in that interview because the I think as women, we all struggle with the even if you are beautiful outside and you're living proof of that, you're still struggling with the insecurities. Yeah. Um, and I found that to be amazing for you to sit on a national or international platform and and say that. Um, so tell me about. Did you always know that you had those insecurities? Um, when you were, you know, at the height of your modeling career, or is that something that came through once you had your struggles uh, medically? No, I think I, I think deep down I knew, but I couldn't fix it. I didn't know how to fix it because I was getting accolades from society, right? Based on what I look like. So I was getting better jobs and now I'm talking about like 11 to 35. I was getting better jobs. I was a guest model. And so all the kind of accomplishments that I I felt that I was getting. It wasn't from a a degree at SMU or a degree from Harvard or um, a book club or, you know, uh, a a women's group where we were lifting each other up. That didn't exist in my life. I was going on modeling shoots and I was being praised for that. And so like if I saw myself on a billboard driving down Dallas North Tollway, which is where I lived, I was like, I'm worth something. Right. And so that was being reinforced by myself by the way, the world wasn't doing that to me. I was doing that to me. And I was watching Bravo TV and I was watching all these celebrities thinking, well, I'm not as young. I'm not as pretty. I'm not as wealthy. I'm not this. And there was this constant comparison that was going on in my head. That was the tape in my head. And when you shut all of that down and you don't know if you're going to wake up the next morning, you quickly realize none of that stuff matters. The Birkin bags or the the Prada bags or the 
expensive, you know, clothes and the expensive cars and the expensive physical address, it, nothing matters. Those things don't matter. Those are templates. Those are temporary. But if you think about like what really matters, it's love, it's encouraging each other, it's cheering each other on. And so instead of watching Bravo TV and watching a housewife show where the women are tearing each other apart, I started to meet with my friends and I started to, we started to have, you know, conversations about what does mental health look like? What is cheering each other on look like? And that's really why I wrote my book, because if I can show the world that, yes, I went from being living a very plastic life and a very insecure life to finding my voice and not just finding my voice after terrible illness, but using my voice, changing the tapes in my head. I stopped listening to bullies. I stopped listening to people that were tearing me apart. And I replaced those voices, not just outside voices, but voices within my own head. And I would look at myself in the mirror and say, you are worthy, even when I didn't believe it. It took a long time. It took me 15 months of chemotherapy to say that over and over again before I actually believed it. But when I was going through illnesses and people showed up for me, I, I asked them, I said, well, I asked myself, I said, why would I not show up for myself if these people are showing up for me? What is it about me that's not showing up for me? And so I, I took my thoughts captive and I, I realized I wasn't saying kind things to myself in my own head. That's toxic. And that, that destroys your self-esteem. So I started to do a lot of self-esteem work and a lot of self-care. And that changed the tra trajectory of my life. I went back to Harvard. I, I wrote a book. I became a national best-selling author. I became a speaker. And it was my beauty was not the same, but my internal beauty was exuding out, right? And it's the internal beauty that we have to work on. We don't have to work on the external beauty. We have to work on the inter internal light. And when we do that, we become a lamp for the world. But we also have to have the vulnerability to share the story. A lot of my story is not flattering. And I talk about that because if we open up social media and we only see highlight reels, that doesn't help anybody. That's not showing the world, hey, I can relate to your story. So I had to be very vulnerable in my story and talk about, you know, things that are not, you know, not flattering and not things I'm proud of. But I didn't want to just show one side of my story. I wanted to help people. And so by opening up to the things that weren't so flattering, um, it really was relatable to you as well, but a lot of people. I, I love everything you're saying. And Claudia and I, uh, you know, got to be friends through a women's network. And this women's network, what what is a common theme? Imposter syndrome. Our, we shouldn't be here. We're not good enough. We should have studied harder. We should have dress I'd be better at public speaking at this or at that and luckily we found a group of women that together lifted us up and made us feel that they had they believed in us so why can't we believe in ourselves so it, it was it's it's a common theme throughout I mean just google imposter syndrome and for some reason, women are afflicted by this and it's not, we need our sisters. We need mm -hmm. our women, wonder women behind us to lift us up and show us this. Um, you alluded to all the health issues. When I met you, you were recovering from wrist surgery. I met, ran into you. I came to visit you when you were getting checked on your wrist and went to see a surgeon or a doctor that would believe that you were still in pain. And at that time, you felt a lump. You were at the, yeah. the hotel. 
I came to visit you and you said, I need to get this check. And I'm like, how could you have breast cancer? You just went through this. You had stomach issues. Not going to happen. In my head, I couldn't believe. And then what I witnessed, you going through, I can't, I don't even remember how many rounds of chemo, but I know you took one form of red devil. It just <laughs> sounds awful. But you were smiling. <laughs> you wore wigs. You were surrounded by your friends. You sent me pictures. We texted. We stayed connected. And I was so um, in awe of your strength and fortitude. Other than the women around you, I know that your faith is important to you. Is that was that the guiding light? What what helped you to get through the most difficult, awful <laughs> experience anyone could imagine? Oh yeah. I, I, well, to recap, I did have, um, I was bullied by a medical in the medical world. I had a bully doctor and ultimately my arm was fused and I have cadaver bones and a cadaver Achilles tendon in my right arm. It was reconstructed. And after it was reconstructed, I was in a hotel in New York city visit, you know, getting my six week post arm fusion checkup, trying to figure out how am I going to live with a fused arm? And am, am I going to be in chronic pain? And how am I going to take care of my kids and cook and all the things that a mother does. And I, and I did find a lump. And five days later, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. And I was 41 years old. And I had been this self-proclaimed athlete and model and thriving in, in many ways in our society. But inside, I was kind of, you know, dying inside and ultimately had to endure 28 rounds of chemotherapy. And so I, what really got me through was not only my faith, but people showing up for me. You know, people showing up for each other really can save a life. And so after they showed up for me for three major illnesses, and I said to them, I, I thought I'd used up all the favors from my friends and family with my arm, but they weren't counting. Right? There was no score. They were saying, <laughs> you know, but we think that we think, oh, well, we, that's because it's pride and ego. We have this pride and ego, like, oh, I'm not worthy of their help. And what they were saying to me, what they were teaching me was, not only are you worthy, but it's a privilege to show up for you. And so once they kept showing up for me, and then I started to show up for me, I said to myself, I'm going to show up for people after they have taught me this. I'm going to show up for the world, whatever that means. I had no idea what that meant at the time, but ultimately it meant writing that book and, and being a public speaker and now being on a social media influencer and showing up as a humanitarian and serving in this world. And so I went from being a very materialistic and very outwardly um, secure, but really internally insecure person to feeling very secure, all scarred up uh, with no chest and a fused arm saying, no, this stuff doesn't matter. But, you know, showing up for people really matters. And I think if we we get into this mentality of, you know, we have to do, do, do. But the truth is we have to be, be, be. The more we are who we are, the more we can be authentic to the world. But we also have a responsibility. Like for me, I felt like they showed me the light. They showed me the way. They taught me how to show up for the other people. So now it was my responsibility to do that. Whether, and so I'm doing that in many ways. I'm a humanitarian. I, I'm on the board of two nonprofits and, and I, I'm, be, I'm interviewed a lot. And it's, it's about you know, giving back and serving. Giving back and serving is joy. You know, walking through life can be very happy, but if you serve other people, that's where the real joy comes in. And it's almost selfish, right? 
Debbie and I, I have the same look on our face. Uh, I wish the viewers can see just um, smile from ear to ear, this sense of, I'm very lucky to be here interviewing you um, because yeah. you are just a beam of light and we yeah. need more women. I'm going to say people, but mostly women. Cause I mean, unfortunately we do have this constant struggle. We do need the support. I have the conversation with my husband all the time. He's like, why are you so involved in all these women's things? What's, what's the thing with these women's things? Like I want to come up with a man thing. And I said, um, you know, we we need the encouragement. We need to have um, a consensus with people around us that it's it's working. And you are doing such an amazing job with taking something that was so painful to you and turning it into something positive. And I think, you know, so many people we all have struggles, little, big, regardless, even if they're little, that's something big to us, but to turn it into something positive and be so brave to be able to tell the story and all the feelings that we went through, um, again, is just so brave. And I'm so lucky to be interviewing you. Um, my question, my question for you is I have a I'll, I'll put it out there, someone that I went to high school with, I grew up with, and she recently got diagnosed with breast cancer. I actually messaged her this morning and told her mm -hmm. about you and your book and uh, to, to look you up. You're, you're such an inspiration, especially for her during this time. I always wonder what it is to be that person that comes out with specifically a diagnosis or, you know, a house that burns on fire and all your mm -hmm. memories are gone. The person that the spotlight is, is put on. How do we as a community support that individual without making them feel like it's a pity party? Can you give us um, that perspective so that we could be better people when we do see someone that's going through something? Well, people, in my opinion, from my own experience, people love empathy and compassion, but nobody, I don't know anybody that likes pity. And so if you think about, you know, something that's pitiful, it's not people. And so if you think about compassion and, and you know, loss of pride and ego and, and being able to ask for help, and even in moments where you don't know what to say to that person, just say, I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. And it can be the littlest thing to, to do for somebody. It doesn't have to spend, you don't have to spend lots of money. You don't have to spend any money to care for somebody. But like I, I, I say a lot, showing up for somebody, that can mean sending a text. Like when they're sitting in the chemo chair, or they're going to radiation or they're going to a surgery or, you know, it's late at night when maybe they're up thinking about, you know, fearful things. Just send a little, a meme or send a text or send a, a scripture or send a quote or send a, somebody that you think they could be inspired by. And those little bits of kindness go a long way because that person knows that there's somebody in the world that's thinking about them right now and that's showing up. And, and, and you know, it can be obviously more um, exaggerated than that, like bringing them a meal or, you know, going to visit them or, or what all of those beautiful things. 
but the most important thing is just to be authentic and to be you and say, I don't know. I've never been in your position. I don't know how you feel, but I want to listen and I want to hear you and I want to meet you where you are. And we can, and I'm not going to forsake you. Like if somebody feels that they're not going to be forsaken in this world, they can live a much healthier, mentally healthier life. And that fear can dissipate. So when I, I'll give you an example. When I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I was, I wanted to quit. I had just been through two major health issues. I had young kids and I wasn't able to be their mom. I wasn't showing up for them. Like I thought I should show up for them. I wasn't showing up for me because I was constantly in a doctor's office or I was constantly in a cast and, and in pain, physical pain and emotional pain. And so finally, you know, a month into my diagnosis, I, I finally said to myself, okay, forget the outcome. I have no idea if I'm going to live or die. I have no idea if this chemo is going to kill me. I have no idea if the cancer is going to kill me, but I have got to get rid of the outcome because it was so stressful. And so when you kind of shed that pride and that ego and, and just say, okay, I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but I can show courage today for myself, most importantly. And then when I show courage for myself and other people can see that courage and maybe that they will learn how to see, you know, to how to show up and be in that courage. Because courage can go away. Like we can lose our courage. It, it falters. But if we see other people going through great trials and showing courage and, and not worrying about the outcome and not fearing tomorrow, then that can inspire us and ignite hope, right? And that's, I think, my biggest message. But it took me like 30 days of feeling like a victim before I wanted to, wanted to show the world what a vine looks like. And I think that's a mentality. And again, and I, I say this often because people think, well, it just happens overnight. It doesn't. Say to yourself, do you want to be a victim or a vine? And work on that. What does that mean to you? What keeps you up at night, right? So things that keep me up at night, I work on. So children with cancer, breast cancer survivors, inmates, prisoners, those things keep me up at night. So what do I do? I use my greatest resource, which is my time, and I serve those communities. And so when you're talking to breast cancer, your friend who had, has breast cancer, and you can just in little ways show her that you're showing up for her, that goes a long way. That's so important because, you know, communication, I think, is the key to everything, right? It's relationships. It's being a public speaker, writing a book, um, even, you know, mending fences. And sometimes, um, you know, right. I thank you for putting out these suggestions, these words that we can use for people, because sometimes, you know, it's hard to find the words to comfort someone. It is very hard. And people say, trust me, when I tell you this, my oncologist said to me one time, he said, just don't ignore the noise. Cause so many people, oftentimes when you have a cancer diagnosis, somebody will walk up to you and go, Oh, my mother died of that. Oh, my <sighs> sister, my aunt's sister, <sighs> aunt, whatever they died of that. We don't really love those stories. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and just keep those to yourself. Right. Like instead say, I've, I've, I've seen this. Like I've witnessed it. I don't know what to do, but I want to help you. Tell me what to do, right? That, that's a different story. Christine, I laugh because <laughs> I said this to Debbie. It's like when you're pregnant oh. and people are like, Oh my God, I, I, I have a 12 month old and my delivery. Oh my God, let me tell you. And then there was blood everywhere. And then the doctors rushed in and you're like, do you realize that I'm giving birth in two months? Like, how about 
you spin that and you say, right. oh my God, it was so dramatic. Like there was right. blood, but oh, I just heard the baby and I saw mm -hmm. her there and it was just, it's the best feeling ever. How right. about you just spin the conversation? So I, I, I laugh. Stay tuned for our next episode.